This is Defender Radio. Defender Radio is brought to you by Gates Wildlife Control and the Association for the Protection of Fur-Bearing Animals. It's the week of January 19, 2015, and this is Michael Howie welcoming you to episode 212 of Defender Radio. From the name of a winter pastry to the back of our five-cent piece, the beaver is everywhere in Canada. But few people know the true history of beavers, that they were nearly wiped out by trapping, that they play an integral role in our ecosystems, and that they are still trapped every day from coast to coast. So this week we're exploring the beaver in two very different but important ways. First, we'll hear from university instructor, naturalist, photographer, and author Michael Runtz about his new book, Dam Builders, The Natural History of Beavers and Their Ponds. Then we'll talk with Diane Merle of the Alouette Valley Association, whose frustration with the beaver trapping ways of her municipality led her to working with APFA to find non-lethal solutions to potential conflict. Let's get started. Dam Builders, The Natural History of Beavers and Their Ponds is an in-depth examination of beavers, including their cultural and historical importance, their biology and behavior, as well as colorful and poetic anecdotes and gorgeous photos from a lifelong nature lover. Michael Runtz joined Defender Radio to discuss his own background, the development of the book, and what he hopes people will take away from it. Let's start out at the beginning. Uh, I read that uh, you started looking at birds from a very young age. Was that your introduction into what is now your field of, of being a naturalist and a photographer and a hiker and an instructor? I mean, does it all stem from that interest in birds? Uh, absolutely. It started back when I was five years old, and it's an interesting um, uh, initiation into nature that I had because I was forced into it. It wasn't a voluntary uh, introduction by any means. Well, how do you mean by that? Well, what happened was apparently, and I didn't know this story until many years later, but um, I have a sister who's four years my senior. And when I was um, um, five years old, she was nine. She had a, a friend next door and they had a playhouse in the back. And according to her mother, when I would wander over to their yard, I'd go into this, this playhouse and very uh, become very uh, upsetting to the girls by throwing their tea sets out on the lawn and things like that. So the girls would call upon their mo- the mother for help, and she was an amateur bird watcher. So she would come out armed with binoculars and a field guide and walk me around the yard showing me the nesting orioles and birds like that in her backyard. And that just captured my interest. Wow. Um you know, it's, it's funny how these things all start out for people, but uh, how how did you progress from that uh, to the point you're at now in life? You are... Uh... Okay, I became I became a passionate bird watcher at the early ages. In fact, remember in grade three, um, our, our teacher had us make a Valentine cards for our parents and or, or for the school or something. And, and my Valentine's card, I'm, I recall it readily, it was uh, Michael Runtz, to whom, to whom birds are a joy, happens to be our head boy so that that <laughs> that reflects in grade in grade three how <laughs> i was t- totally uh, taken by birds i was uh, 
consumed by bird watching. And uh, I guess you, you progressed along the path that many of us do through life, uh, getting involved in what you're interested in. And uh... I, I, was I was very, very lucky in meeting some people of fellow interests. And a couple happened to be working in Algonquin Park uh, in the early 70s. And they recommended me to the uh, people who hire naturalists in the Algonquin Park. And I was hired in the early 70s as a summer interpretive naturalist. And uh, that broadened my interest to, to plants and variety of things beyond birds, including beavers as well. My first meetings with beavers were in the early 70s. And, um, and also introduced me to speaking publicly and, and teaching people about nature. So uh, that was a big break. And then it progressed from there where I worked in Pili National Park and back in Algonquin again and, and went back to university, got my degree in biology and began to, uh, to uh, write about nature, take photographs involving nature and so on. So, but it all goes back to that very early misbehaving <laughs> young boy who, who, uh, who got a lucky break from his neighbor. If she wasn't a bird watcher, who knows what it would have become? Well, you know? we're we're all very we're all very happy you ended up where you did. Uh, I think you're the <laughs> only university instructor I know that has their own fan page on Facebook started by students. Really, I have I didn't know that. Oh well, yeah, when I uh, when I do my basic research, you know, I check out websites and things you've written, and uh, you popped up on Facebook. There's a few hundred people who who apparently love. Really? Oh, I didn't know that. Oh, How yeah. about that? Um, no, I'm not much of a computer person. I don't like computers. I don't like the internet. <laughs> so I guess that reveals my aversion to that form of media. Um, well, let's let's talk about the book. Um, okay, you you are a, a very popular instructor, photographer. You're interviewed by the media on a variety of different issues. Uh, why did you decide to to sort of dive into what I, I must imagine was a project of love and uh, intense amount of time? Uh, this this uh, Beaver book. It, it was. Well, I started working on that casually back in the early 1990s. And so we're looking at more than 20 years invested in that book. And uh, but what talk about time well spent? Um, every time you go into nature, no matter what habitat it is, you, you learn, you learn, and uh, and you see wonderful things and come out with wonderful memories and insights into the real world. And um, and beaver ponds are a fabulous habitat to do just that because they're such dynamic habitats. And you go to a beaver pond, even if you don't see beavers, you see a wealth of other living things. And, uh, and they're one of the richest natural classrooms we have in the world, uh, beaver ponds. Um, uh, so uh, yeah, a lot of time spent in that habitat. Well, and I found it very interesting. Um, the, the way the book is, is structured is makes it very easy to read and very easy to follow along. It starts out with uh, an evolutionary history from a colleague of yours, and you dive into the history of beavers, um, almost from a, a human point of view. And I found uh, at times as I was reading it, I felt it was almost more a look at human nature than it was at beavers, uh, because it's very much how we influence them. Um, what was it like for you as a naturalist to sort of go back and look, um, and I, I'm already familiar, but, uh, for those who aren't, uh, we, we nearly wiped out beavers around the world. Well, exactly. Yeah. And, and you know, it's, it's unbelievable that this abundant species, so abundant that they were trapping them by the, you know, more than a million were trapped per year in Canada. And this was a sustained trapping program that went on for years and the Eurasian beaver, the same thing. And it's remarkable. Does animals survive that? 
you know, other animals were less fortunate. Think about the uh, passenger pigeon, for example, that was here even more numerous than, than beavers were, and, and they're gone. Um, it, it, it's remarkable, and it's also appalling that, you know, when we have resources, even today, we still don't seem to have the, the we haven't learned from beavers that we've got to sustain better limits on things, everything from fur-bearing mammals to fish in the oceans. We're, you know, we're constantly pushing the limits as a species. Certainly some areas have legislation, have controls, but other areas don't. And, you know, there's many countries, as you know, that are currently over-exploiting our resources, especially in the ocean right now. Um, yeah, and so, so it was, uh, looking back and learning some of the figures about beavers and so on, it was really appalling to, to realize the, how we treated them, but also to how we came so close to wiping out this keystone species. Because it's not just another species. I mean, passenger pigeons are gone, but the effect on the environment is probably very, very limited, very little, apart from losing a species and maybe some dispersal of seeds and so on. But think about beavers. If we lost beavers, it would not just be one species lost. It'd be like a, 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 um, a domino effect where there's so many other species that are tied to beavers. They may not vanish from the face of the planet, but they certainly would be diminished in numbers. And water, one of the most important resources we have in the world, that is also vanishing. Uh, without beavers, we'd lose more water. That, you know, and, uh, and so the effects on, not just on, on um, uh, biodiversity, but on the health of, uh, of our planet uh, and a resource that we depend on would be severely affected too by, by a loss of beavers. Well, and I always uh, like to illustrate that by pointing to people, uh, pointing people to California where they're struggling with droughts. And despite all of our advances in technology, some areas, they're simply bringing in beavers and it's working. Absolutely. Absolutely. And other areas, two other arid areas where they're finding that they put a beaver in on a creek, it dams it up, and lo and behold, there's lush, lush vegetation growing on the banks in a couple of years. You know, it's not rocket science to realize that when beavers create a dam, they create a reservoir, and that reservoir also influences the water table and the area around it. Uh, beavers are becoming known now as really important uh, uh, providers of, of, of groundwater. Mm -hmm. And uh, one of the things I really enjoyed about the book as I read it yesterday was that as you go through, um, and, and I tried to phrase this well in, in my review, and I found it, frankly, difficult to do, but you'll explore the, the uh, for example, when we're talking about the anatomy of beavers, you talk about their tails, and you discuss how they heat and cool themselves, and how they're used as warning, and how they do all of these things. And then as you explain that in the science, you provide an anecdote about hearing a beaver crack as a, as a kayaker, and you you uh, you know what it represents and you talk about beaver tails the pastry which have absolutely nothing to do with beavers except their shape <laughs> right uh, and then you've you've got these stunning photos and i read in the book their photos over the course of 30 years that you've taken yeah, yeah. um and yeah. it's it's to me a, a true accomplishment to be able to tie all of those different things together so masterfully uh what was the process like for you and how did you find trying to balance that the science and the anecdotes you have no idea. You have no idea how gratifying it is to hear you summarize it in that fashion. Because I have worked very, very hard to make this book uh, flow so that the the information makes sense and that it covers sort of a, the full ecology of beavers, including their ponds. But also, I wanted to illustrate as many points as possible. 
and, and I, I really worked hard to try to get the best possible photograph I could. It'd be so, it would be so much easier to buy all the photographs from people who have done this over the years, you know, from a hundred sources. But, but I think that's, to me, it's a personal bit of, uh, of, uh, pride in having photographs that are, are not just, uh, documentary type photographs, but they're also in, in many cases quite beautiful as well in terms of being composed and lighting and so on. And, uh, and you know, I, I'm my own worst critic, and uh, I'm always looking for something better than I than I've taken or written previously. It's a never-ending struggle with me. But uh, no, it's uh, thank you for that for saying those kind words because um, they are truly well appreciated. And uh, and and it's, it's nice to know that at least one person who's seen the preliminary <laughs> book, you know, yeah, uh, thinks uh, or, or sees what I was hoping to accomplish in the book. It was a lot. It was a lot of effort, for sure. And one of one of the things I really liked is near the end of the book, you've got uh, it, it's a series of photos of ponds, beaver ponds, and it's it's various environments from what looks like you know an eerie swamp to a beautiful landscape with mountains in the background and forests. Um, what do you hope people take away from this? I mean, when I read it, I walked away. Uh, a lot of the information I had sort of absorbed over the years now about beavers, but I, I really likened it to some of the old-fashioned frontier writing of, uh, uh, you know, the late 19th century, early 20th century, where it's very personal storytelling where you walk away knowing something. Um, and, and again, the photos are just remarkable. So what do you hope the general audience who reads this book will get from it? What I hope, first and foremost that they, they understand that beavers are not just another species, that uh, these play a very important role, and, and the habitats they create may certainly cause us some inconvenience at times, but the myriad plants and animals they, they support in so many ways um, makes them a really critical species to have in our, uh, on our planet. And uh, every aspect of the habitat they create, including the drowned trees, are very important for a number of organisms. And, and, uh, so I hope that people, after finishing the book, uh, appreciate beavers for not just being an interesting animal, but being a complex animal that creates this amazing habitat that will change through time, evolve into different habitats. And as an end result, we have this myriad, myriad plants and animals that benefit from having beavers around. And, uh, and also, I hope that people understand a little bit of the complexity of a habitat, that there's so many faucets to a beaver pond. There's life at the water surface, life at the bottom, life in the air above, the dead trees provide life. And when the pond finally vanishes, the wonderful bed of organic material left behind uh, becomes a, a, a lush meadow eventually that supports another whole set of animals and plants, and including big animals like moose. Um, you know, so I hope that those few things are, are what the reader leaves with after visiting the book. Dam Builders, The Natural History of Beavers and Their Ponds is slated for release on February 1st, 2015. To learn more, check out our review at furbeardefenders.com. We'll be right back after these words from our sponsors. You're listening to Defender Radio. First, they tear a hole in your roof. Then they get in, destroying your insulation, chewing your electrical wiring. Raccoons and squirrels are eating away at your biggest investment, 
your home. I am Brad Gates of Gates Wildlife Control. Don't wait any longer. Call Gates Wildlife Control. We'll humanely get them out and keep them out. We will come to your house and provide you with a no-obligation free estimate. Please visit us at GatesWildlifeControl.com or call 416-750-9453. After a night out with your friends, there are always options for getting home safely. You could call your BFF, take a cab, or maybe you'll grab the last bus. Now there's a smartphone app to help you choose your ride. Find out more at ArriveAlive.org. Millions of animals are killed for their fur each year in Canada. You can help stop the cruelty. Join the Association for the Protection of Fur-Bearing Animals today and be the voice for those who can't speak for themselves. Find out more at FurBearerDefenders.com. This is Defender Radio. We're back to hear from Diane Merle of the Alouette Valley Association. Like many landowners, Diane respects the wildlife that call her home their home. But her municipality along the Fraser River had been trapping beavers, despite her pleas to find solutions. That's when she came to APFA. With the help of the Alouette Valley Association and volunteers, APFA's Adria Nelson installed an exclusion fence to stand as a pilot project for the area. Diane joined Defender Radio to discuss her experience with APFA and why she wants to protect her neighbors, the beavers. Tell me a bit about Maple Ridge. I, I have not been to Maple Ridge and our, our listeners come from all around the world. So what's that community like? Just sort of as an overview. We're probably, I'm not quite sure of the population. It's probably in the 50,000 area. It has historically been a horse community, you know, a lot of horses and a lot of small farms. That's sadly changing or more getting subdivisions. We have, um, uh, we have the Fraser River that runs through Maple Ridge, and then we have the North and the South Alouette Rivers that also run through Maple Ridge, and that's where my, my residents and, and the North Al- or the Alouette Valley Association were all from the, the North Alouette River area. Um, we, what can I say? There's lots of recreation here. There's lots of biking and walking and there's a, a lot of dikes in the, in Maple Ridge and Pitt Meadows. So people can go out and walk on the dikes or ride your horses on the dikes, that kind of thing. But it, as I said, it's, you know, it's been historically very recreational kind of outdoorsy type of place. Uh, but they're because of affordability, they're building more and more subdivisions. So you see the landscape changing, sadly, where there, when I first moved here, there would be beautiful little farms, and now there's condos and things. So, you know, but it's, I still, I still love this community, and, and the people who live in this valley where I live, you know, they wouldn't live anywhere else just because of the, um, you know, the, the wildlife and, you know, and we work closely, our association works closely with council to try and get, um, protective fencing along for horseback riders and bikers and that kind of stuff. Not, not motorcycle bikers, but you know, so there's more road safety as there's more and more traffic type thing. So anyway. Um, now tell me about the beavers. That's, that's what's brought you to the association or brought our two associations together. Uh, clearly there is a lot of waterways. Fraser river is a very important ecological system. Um, so what, how did the beavers become, 
uh, a subject of concern in the community? Well, it's mostly, it's starting with me and, um, well, it's not starting with me, but there's a lot of beavers in the community. And the municipality, we're now a city as of last year. The city, um, you know, of course, won't do anything on private land, so it's up to us. But there's a lot of rules, too. And right now, they just want you to trap and kill. They they don't relocate because, from what I understand, there are so many beavers that if you relocate them because they're territorial, they'll just kill each other off anyway. So... So for me, uh, I have a creek that runs through my property and runs through my neighbor to the north and neighbor to the south, obviously. And I have two large culverts so that I can, you know, go get to the back of my property or my horses can get to the back of the property. And for the last 24 years, the beavers have been a bit of a problem. And, and uh, I can remember some mornings before I'd go to work being out out in the in the creek with a flashlight in my mouth, tearing the dam down <laughs> so that my neighbors upstream wouldn't be flooded. And of course, by the next morning, it had been rebuilt. They're very busy. And again, I never I've seen the beavers maybe twice in all those years. They're they're, they're night workers. So anyway, so what happened to me? I'm I'm not getting any younger, so crawling in creeks and ripping out dams and you know is is really not much of an option for me anymore. I had read over the years a lot about, you know, the beaver fencing and the beaver deceivers and all that kind of stuff. And and I've talked to the district and they don't do that. So this year, the beaver dam at my place was, the it had completely blocked. It had never completely blocked my culverts before, but it had. And my neighbor upstream, she rescues horses. So her it was flooding her property to her horses couldn't get to the back of the property and she kind of needs all the space she can get. So her husband um, cleared it out once and they rebuilt, of course, and I was in, I went to Europe and while I was gone, he cleared it out again and they rebuilt. And so I sent a letter to the, to the district asking them if they would partner with me in a pilot project for the beaver fences. Because I had read an article in, from April in the Vancouver Sun about what some of the other municipalities were doing uh, with your organization. And of course, they just all, their reply was to send me a list of trappers. Yeah, and I'm not doing that. And um, because they just kill, you know. So I contacted the fur bearers and um, was very pleasantly surprised. Adrian was out of town. But the woman I talked to, you know, she indicated that your organization would come and install it, which just blew me away. Because I thought, wow, <laughs> people actually come out and help. So anyway, Adrian came out to check and decided what we should do, you know, what kind of fencing or stuff could be done. At this point, I was still on my own with this. Um, a couple of people from my association came out when Adrian and his two gals were out here installing it and were really impressed and um, have since adopted this as one of our Alouette Valley Association projects is to follow my particular um, fence and see how it works and then try and influence our new city council to implement it as well. So anyway, Adrian and the girls came out and they installed it. And then a week later, I had a big flood and a big log went right through it. 
Yeah, I saw the pictures of that. Actually, that's <laughs> that's so then, yeah, that's got to be one of those one in a million. Uh, like within well, you know a what? week. I, ironically, the tree, the two big logs that wash smashed into it were, from what I understand, a tree had just been cut because a beaver was chewing it, and. I, I was told the district cut the tree down and left the logs, but then I was also told the homeowners did, so I'm not sure who actually cut it down, but I know where the tree was, and they left these two big logs. So when it floods down here, it's really the North Alouette River that causes the problem, so the water rushes back into my property, and I think it just picked those two logs up and then just dumped them into my car. That was sort of a, an unusual accident and combination <laughs> of destiny, I would think. And there were a lot of bad words on my part when I walked back <laughs> to see how the fence had held up and discovered, well, you saw the pictures, right? Well, it's it was so, impressive to me. The actual structure looked like it was in okay shape. It was just some of the fencing had been torn away. It, yeah, the, all the none of the boards got washed away, that broke away, and it did finally collapse down. But and I was concerned about the wire. I, I put a, a notice out on our Alouette Valley Association dis, um, distribution list and asked if anybody wanted to come help. And so that's did you see the, did you see the pictures of the tractor and all that? Uh, no, I don't think I got to see those ones. Okay, so the neighbors came down in mass. And uh, the association came down and tractors and guys and hip waders and, and, they, and they fixed it. And the wire, luckily, I, I went around trying to find that wire and I, can't, I couldn't find it anywhere because I, I assume it's a special wire that doesn't rust and stuff. Anyway. Well, it's, it's galvanized steel. Uh, it can actually be found at many hardware stores. Um, but my experience, uh, I actually got to go on tour with Adrian. We were in Northern Ontario over summer last year. Yeah. Um, we did 3000 kilometers in about wow. four days. Wow. Uh, yeah. It was a lot of driving. Um, yeah. and, uh, what surprised me is if you know which questions to ask at a hardware store, yeah. all of that stuff is super easy to get. But I if walked, you don't I know walked, exactly. Yeah. Well, I walked around and looked at all the wires that they had. I went to almost every store in Maple Ridge Pit Meadows and still couldn't find it. And, and the thing that I was told about the wire I did find, it was mostly for cement reinforcement. That was the closest I could find. And, of course, that wasn't the right product. Anyway, when the guys, when they got the, after they got the logs out with the tractor and chains and all this kind of stuff, it was most impressive. I'll send you pictures if you want. Um, um, the wire had just been smashed down and it wasn't actually damaged and all the boards were, you know, they put them all back and then we did a little cross bracing as well, just in case more logs ever washed down. And so it's, it's intact. Thank goodness. So the, what would you think of the, the experience overall? Uh, if you could sort of sum it up quickly from. It was fun. <laughs> it was really fun. Uh, you know, Adrian and the and the girls were great. They arrived. Um, the creek is quite a bit of, of, of a di not a huge distance, but enough distance that carrying all this stuff would have been a problem. So we loaded as much as we could into my tractor and off we went. And it was, you know, it was relatively quick, um, certainly environmentally friendly. I've been thinking about that. You know, there's probably less damage to the waterway than people standing in there fishing. You know, it's 
it was n nothing um, destructive at all to the habitat as they were installing it, which I was I was really impressed because I didn't know what was going to go on. Um, when they got here, the one da the dam in one side of the culvert had washed away in a previous, I guess, heavy rain, and it that same thing happened to me last year, and they didn't rebuild until spring. And so when Adrian got here, they didn't have to rip out that side, which is the most clogged side. They did clean out the other side, but we only fenced one of the of the big culverts, and they can dam the other one side up if they want. But they because they're side by side, it won't it won't uh, you know dam the whole creek type thing. So they're not there now. The beavers have not come back, um, but I know they will in the spring with a vengeance, and so. We're waiting <laughs> to see how it's all going to work, but right now we can't report how it's working because they're not there. And I don't know if that's normal that they relocate somewhere or maybe coyotes got them. I don't know. What would you say now? I mean, after having watched the whole process, and as you said, you kind of have to wait until spring to see how it's going to work and if it's going to be enough or if you need to do the pond leveler. What would you then say to other communities or other landowners who are considering uh, this kind of a project? Well, we're going to start working on Maple Ridge. We have a brand new council, mayor and council. So we're we're kind of waiting, though, till spring to see what's going to happen, which isn't far off. You know, the beavers will probably be here in another month or two, I'm sure, to start work. And so we want to now try to get Maple Ridge to, to do this because we have so much water, you know. Um, and I, and I, I think... I understand that beavers, you only have so many beavers, so many areas, right? Uh, yeah, there's, there's a population density. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, I would encourage, I would encourage all the municipalities to take this up. To learn more about the Alouette Valley Association, visit ava.stargate.ca. That's the show for this week, folks. I'd like to thank both our guests for their time, as well as Brad Gates of AAA Gates Wildlife Control for his ongoing support. Until next time, this is Michael Howie reminding you to stay informed and stay strong.